Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Dr. Gina, and welcome to Primetime. We start off the show tonight with a fake news alert. Now, we all witnessed the very disturbing and hard-to-watch Biden press conference yesterday. It was his first one since he took the oath of office, and it only took him 64 days to come to the podium to actually take a question. And now we see why. But the mainstream media jumped into a spin position to spin it to a positive light for Biden by highlighting the questions that were not asked at the press conference. Listen. To me, the big takeaway is the fact that it goes back to COVID. It's the only piece of news he intended to make, and he made it. There wasn't a single question on it, which tells you what other thing, Lester. There's clearly not any negative questions to ask. A, a press corps asks you about challenges. They don't necessarily ask you about things that are going well. Takeaway that I had from this press conference is what we weren't talking about. And that was his response to the pandemic. And that's because the entire time he's been in office, he has been messaging about what he's been doing, about the response, about the facts and figures that show, according to our very own CBS polling, that people are satisfied with how he's doing. It's amazing. He solved an entire pandemic in just a couple of weeks. He really walks on water, doesn't he? The mainstream media members pretended like moments like this didn't just happen at the presser. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I'm, we're going to get a lot done. Yeah, there are a lot of things that struck me as odd and Biden's bumbling press conference yesterday. One thing in particular that he said was that the GOP might not even exist in the next election. Check it. Oh, come on. I don't even think about it. I don't have, I have no idea. I have no idea whether it'll be a Republican Party. Do you? So what exactly does that mean? That he doesn't know if there's going to be a Republican Party? Does he mean that they will pass their election overhaul bill, H.R. 1, that will change our elections forever? And is that what will cause the demise of the Republican Party? Does he believe that they will abolish the filibuster and pass their leftist agenda and transform our country into their socialist utopia before the next election? Was that a threat, Mr. Biden? Or is he living in some kind of delusion that since Democrats control the House and Senate and the White House, that the Republican Party is just going to go away in his little Biden world of whatever it is going on in his mind at the time? The Republican Party is as strong as ever, thanks in large part to President Trump. In the 2020 election, President Trump won 2,547 counties. Biden, you won 509 counties nationwide. Wide, and that's the lowest number of counties ever by a supposed candidate in a presidential election. Let's not forget that. 
and the number of Democrat-won counties trends lower every four years when there is a presidential election. Hate to break it to you, Joe, but the Democrat Party is the one that may not exist in four years, especially the rate you are going. So maybe those numbers of the shrinking Democrat Party should just be put on Joe Biden's cue cards for the next press conference, if there is one. Some members of the press got some pictures of Biden's cheat sheets yesterday at a so-called press conference. He had little pictures of members of the press with descriptions telling him which ones he could call on and which ones he couldn't. And he had talking points for each topic on note cards. So hopefully he has some really great note card writers for when he has to negotiate with actual world leaders. All right, oh, let's head around America to some competent folks, our hosts and correspondents on the ground. We start with Sophie Mann in Washington, D.C. Sophie, go ahead. Hey, Dr. G. Quick update out of the state of Georgia. Yesterday evening, Governor Brian Kemp signed into law a massive election protection act that came out of the House and Senate recently. He was not exactly expected to sign it last night, so this was a surprise to his constituents and uh, Americans across the country in some a negative way, in some a positive way. Basically, what the bill is going to act to do is uh, shore up the election security of the state of Georgia, which is something we know we saw them have some issues with this past year. This bill is effectively a response, a preemptive strike against the massive uh, legislation package, H.R. 1, Nancy Pelosi's signature election federalization package that is making its way through the House and Senate. Uh, it'll be in the Senate when senators come back from their recess in a couple of weeks. Basically, this law says, the one that Kemp just signed says, that voters still need to show their identification at the polls. Uh, ballot box drops will be restricted. They're going to expand voting hours on the weekends, lest anybody say that, you know, they're limiting the amount of time when Georgians will actually be free to show up at the ballots. Um, and they've also outlawed private money going to election officials after, you know, what we saw in terms of Mark Zuckerberg and other Silicon Valley tech billionaires donating hundreds of millions of dollars two corporations that then influenced the election in battleground states. We'll see what the reaction to this bill continues to be, but uh, the left is certainly upset about it. Stacey Abrams called it Jim Crow 2.0. Well, well, we're going to have to see how this continues to play out in the states versus what is happening on Capitol Hill, where, as I said, they are trying to federalize our elections. Thanks so much, Sophie. Now let's check in with Stephen Glazier over at our sister network, Weather Nation, on the extreme weather we have been seeing in Alabama. Dr. Gina, the, uh, the expanse of the storm damage, very impressive. Numerous homes damaged and numerous injuries and fatalities from Thursday's severe thunderstorms. Even overnight into the Atlanta region, southwest of Atlanta into Georgia, a confirmed tornado where meteorologists will be working through the weekend to conduct storm surveys to see how many tornadoes hit and how strong. The red dots indicate the tornadoes. We had a lot of hail, wind, and flooding out of this weather event, which really started Wednesday, continued Thursday, and even into tonight and the weekend. Additional severe storms possible from the Piedmont of North Carolina into the northern Gulf Coast states, then overnight in the Mississippi Valley, including Memphis. We look ahead to the weekend where, yet again, a chance that severe thunderstorms will be 
here across uh, the mid and deep southern portions of the United States and Mississippi River Valley. And then on Sunday, that shifts toward the mid-Atlantic and the eastern United States. So it's that time of the year to be prepared for severe storms. Not expecting as many as we saw Thursday as far as the forecast through tonight. However, we will see them pop up through the overnight hours in a couple of spots. Some of these will include parts of the Midwestern United States and the Mississippi Valley. And over the next couple of nights, as these thunderstorms pop up, make sure you have ways of getting weather warnings. There are many ways you can do it. No weather radios, your cell phones, as long as they're all charged up are great ways. Back to you. And our hearts and prayers certainly go out to the good folks there, especially uh, those who've gone through so much in my sweet home of Alabama. I was there um, first day in, in broadcasting, actually. First, well, not first day in broadcasting, but my feet hit the ground in Birmingham, Alabama, when hundreds died in that huge tornado, Stephen, uh, not so long ago uh, when I started in radio there in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, those people somehow managed to be such an encouragement to me, even in their darkest hour, and I will never, ever forget being there and seeing that and going through that with them, and every time there's another tornado, mm, I just, uh, I just hold, brace myself to think that they have to go through that again. Um, such a special place, Alabama, and uh, so we are thinking of all of them at this time. Thank you for that report, Stephen. Now out to our West Coast correspondent, Amanda Head. Amanda, Joe Biden has named some really bad nominees recently, including the law partner of uh, unbelievable Hunter Biden's attorney to run the part of the DOJ that is investigating, I'm trying to get this right now, his son Hunter. But now Joe mm -hmm. Biden needs Joe Manchin from West Virginia to agree to abolish the filibuster, among other things. So Biden gave Manchin, I guess you can't call us anything other than a payoff, can you, Amanda? <laughs> yes. So uh, you pretty much nailed it with that connection with the filibuster. Um, yeah. Breaking bombshell news. Joe Manchin is a swinger. I'm just kidding. I don't mean it like that. I mean, get your head out of the gutter. He is the Democrat swinging vote in the Senate. It's 50-50 without the vice presidential tie-breaking vote of Kamala Harris. So, yeah, Joe Manchin is uh, a great focus of President Joe Biden because Joe Manchin could toss a, a vote in the direction of abolishing the filibuster, which would absolutely be Destructive to our democracy and all sorts of things. But yes, Joe Manchin's wife, her name is Gail Connolly Manchin. She's the former president of the West Virginia State Board of Education, but he is nominating her to serve as the co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission. Um, this job comes not only with a lot of power, but also with a very big paycheck, $163,000 a year. You know, quid pro quo comes in all sorts of forms. For the Clintons, it was uh, exorbitant speaking fees. I guess for Joe Biden, it's trading off high-powered, high-paid positions. Wow. Well, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at all now, should we? Absolutely. Yeah. Not. This kind of fits in the wheelhouse. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Amanda, we're going to see you a little later on in the show. Thank you for this. Thank you. All right, now out to Ben Burkwam, and he is down in Texas. He has a report from the southern border. 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 I'll get this word out on the crisis there. Go ahead, Ben. Hey, Dr. Gina, we are here in Laredo, Texas. Uh, we were on our way up actually today from Zapata, Texas, and 
This is how ubiquitous or continuous this fight is along our border. As we were driving, we noticed a helicopter circling low just off the highway. We were on Highway 83, and this is some of the footage that we caught down there. Helicopter circling. We pulled over, jumped out of the car. I ran over and talked to Border Patrol. They confirmed that there was a group of illegals that had just crossed the border. They were hiding out in the brush and trying not to get caught. Now, these are the these are the attempted getaways. These are the people, uh, not like the women and children that are used as a distraction by the cartels to push their drugs. These are the guys that are actually potentially pushing the drugs. Six males were ultimately apprehended. We were there on the scene as it happened. They were taken into custody uh, and then processed by Border Patrol. And again, this was simply as we were driving down the highway. And this continues to happen no matter where you're at, whether you're on the Highway 83 or down on the river or here in Laredo, right behind me is the river. Uh, when they got here this morning, setting up for this event, women fighting for America. Uh, we've actually got a Border Patrol boat coming behind me down the river. They actually had multiple people crossing as they were setting up for the event. It's continuous down here. What's really cool is how people are standing back up. I had an opportunity to speak with Colonel Allen West who is the chairman of the Texas GOP now, chairman for the last year. This is what he had to say. When you read the 10th Amendment, which is the last amendment in our Bill of Rights, it says all of those rights or powers not reserved to delegate, not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And so we are these United States of America. We are sovereign states. And so I think it's so important that our states stand up and they start to make sure that we are doing what is right by the Constitution, even if you have an ideological agenda from the left that does not want to. And so that's so important that we follow with the 10th Amendment. And, and when you look at the Supremacy Clause in the Constitution, it says two important words, pursuant thereof. The, the federal government is supreme over the states as long as what they're doing is pursuant thereof to the Constitution. We have judicial activists that are sitting on benches, and we need to make sure that we uh, clean out those people that are not interpreting the law, which is what the Constitution says the judicial branch is supposed to do, but they're trying to make law, or they're being ideological in their adherence to, quote-unquote, the law, putting an agenda over the actual rule of law. So I think that's so important that people start to get educated and informed about these judicial races and things of this nature. But then also, you're supposed to have a system of checks and balances, co-equal branches of government, separation of powers. So we need to reassert the, the, the strength of the legislative branch to make sure that executive branch and judicial branches aren't out there trying to make law. And that's really what it's about. It's about states stepping back up. If Democrat-run states and cities can create sanctuary policies to undermine the Constitution. It is time for conservative, patriotic, constitutional states and individuals to stand up and create sanctuary policies that protect the Constitution and the citizens of this country. Dr. Gina. Wow, thanks so much, Ben. Always fascinating to see what you have from wherever you are on the planet each day. Thank you. Coming up. Governor Nome is taking a beating from conservatives and liberals alike right now. So what's the real story? We have it for you. Governor Nome is up next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stick around. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best 
to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. So glad that you are with us tonight. And it's extra special because one of my favorites is on the show with us tonight, South Dakota Governor Christy Nome. She's been in the headlines a lot lately. The biggest story right now is regarding the transgender sports bill that is being debated in that state. And if you read some of the headlines on this hard-to-understand story, you'd think that Christy Nome had, been, had just suddenly become a leftist activist overnight. So let's get the real story right from the source. Governor Christy Nome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Governor, some headlines out there say you vetoed the bill that bans transgender sports in public schools and colleges, but others say you sent it back to the legislature for some important revisions. So help us understand exactly what's happening there. Yeah, Gina, we all agree that only girls should play in girls' sports. What I did is I sent the bill to the legislature and asked them to make a couple of changes before I could make sure that it was signed into law. And that really is gonna give us a unique opportunity to fight a fight that we can win. Uh, and people should know my history on this. I've been fighting on this issue for many years. Back when I was in Congress, the federal government was trying to force the sport of rodeo to have boys and girls sports and girls and boys sports. And I stood alone and fought with the sport of rodeo to make sure that we could protect those girls sports, sporting events in rodeo uh, from boys participating and won. Uh, so I've been doing this for a lot of time and a lot of years and I'm a fighter. I just wanna make sure that we're smart about how we do it. So that's why I asked the legislature to make a few changes to this bill before it becomes law. Governor, what is the issue with the NCAA? I saw a tweet by someone with not very many followers that you were somehow folding under the pressure of the NCAA. So what is it about college sports that is different from K through 12? Well, I don't have a problem with the NCAA. In fact, I'm, I'm fighting them today. I started a coalition called DefendTitle9Now.com. I hope you'll promote it on your show. I need a lot of folks to join that. We're getting professional athletes, collegiate athletes, uh, governors, attorney generals, other leaders to join this compact of states to really force the NCAA to back off of their policies that they're punishing other individuals and states with today. So for me in particular, what I wanna do is go forward and make sure that as soon as this bill is signed, I can protect my K-12 system. Make sure that I don't have a 15-year-old girl playing a sporting event in the state of South Dakota that ends up in a situation where a 16, 17-year-old boy is on their team and next thing you know, they're in the locker room and in the shower standing next to them. I need to be able to protect them right away. So I'm asking the legislature to sign this into law and then to make sure that we go after college sports in a way that we can fight them and to actually win and do it by the power of a group, making sure that these states are banding together to go after them economically and as a powerhouse to win the argument and in the public forum as well. As the wife of a former state senator, I understand the complexity of politics. Even sometimes state politics among fellow Republicans can be very complicated. And I remember even pro-life factions would sometimes fight against one another because they wanted credit for passing a bill or because there were simply complicated portions of the bill. Um, sometimes 
they would even hurt a fellow Republican that they saw as a future political threat. And I suspect there are some factions at play to here in this particular situation. Um, am I right about that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. And the second thing I would tell you is that this bill in South Dakota is very flawed, and it's very different than any other bill in any other state. It needs to be fixed. It's really the way it's written as a trial lawyer's dream. And I want people to know that, that this is where my heart is. This is the fight that I've been having for many years. And they should know from the last year of COVID when I was the only governor that never closed a single business, didn't even define what an essential business was because I didn't believe governors had the authority to tell you your business wasn't essential, never issued a shelter in place, didn't give any mandates. Uh, you know, I was strong and stood all year long on those issues because it was the right thing to do. I certainly wouldn't cave to any kind of pressure from business or NCAA on an issue like this that is a part of my core value system. So uh, this bill, what I'm hopeful is that we can get this bill and these changes done, get it signed into law and make sure that we're going after the NCAA in a smart way that we can win. And it's good for people to know as well, uh, the legal pathway for this bill in South Dakota, if I did end up in litigation, is that every one of my federal judges was an Obama or Clinton appointee. And every one of them uh, worked in the Democratic Party. So it's, it's a challenging path, to, and I don't want to turn this over to a liberal court system. I want to make sure that I'm doing it in a smart way and in, in using my leadership to enact change that doesn't give them the opportunity to really control what happens to our girls in this state. I think it's really um, important to punctuate the point that if you were going to fold, I don't think this would be where you would fold, just personally. If I were watching you as somebody who is a student of the psychology of politics, it's what I've studied my entire life, thus the doctor, uh, I can't imagine that this would be the place where you would fold. You would have folded, Governor Nome, under the pressure of an entire nation telling you to stand down and, and, and fold to the pressures under COVID um, that were that had to be at times so incredibly immense um, when you stood firm for your state to have the freedom to decide how to handle uh, their liberties versus those who wanted to impose certain restrictions on the citizens of your state. That's where my perception is that you would have folded, not uh, in this circumstance. So it makes it really simple to see for me, the consistency here. DefendTitle9Now.com is the website. DefendTitle9Now.com. Anything you want to add before I move on? Because I want to talk to you about something very near and dear to my heart. Well, I want everybody to get on and join us on this coalition. It's a compact of states and of leaders. So we have professional athletes, Herschel Walker, Jack Brewer, Nancy Lopez have all joined us in this coalition, making sure that we're pushing for fairness in girls sports, that only girls play girls sports. We have governors on board, attorney generals. We've got college athletes. Franklin Graham is happening, is helping us. Uh, so we need you to join. We need tens of thousands of people on board and uh, make sure that we're building this nationwide effort to draw attention to this. We've got a lot of different states doing different things, pushing different bills. Uh, but we don't have a nationwide effort here to really push the narrative and make sure we're, we're fighting the NCAA and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to degrade women's sports. 
And I will say, too, and we're showing all of that now, the website and everything people have right in front of them. And I want to say, too, that um, your state actually fared very well with your strength and your determination to let your citizens choose their freedom uh, there. So that's wonderful that you did stand by them. I also have to ask you about this topic very close to my heart. As the adoptive mother of a child with Down syndrome, I am so happy that you have just signed a bill in your state that bans abortions in your state based on a Down syndrome diagnosis. I, um, first of all, want to thank you so much for signing that bill, and I want you to tell us about what motivated you to do that. Well, it's about protecting life, and we've seen in other countries across the world where they've almost eliminated people with Down syndrome by choosing to let people abort them upon a diagnosis of having an extra chromosome. I wanted to make sure that that wasn't happening in my state, that we recognize every person is special, every life is special and should be protected, even if you have an extra chromosome, that that makes you even more precious to us. And so we know that there are tests at, the age, at 10 weeks in utero that can diagnose Down syndrome, and we wanted to make sure that no doctor, no family in the state of South Dakota could be upon that diagnosis and only for that reason end and terminate that pregnancy just because they simply didn't want to have someone in their life that dealt with Down syndrome. So it's, it's a wonderful bill. It had overwhelming support uh, through the state legislature and anything we can do to protect life is incredibly important to us. Well, I thank you. My son Samuel thanks you. My family thanks you. And the birth mom, who I'm very close to, of my son Samuel, who ultimately did choose life after almost, almost having an abortion because she was pressured into it, um, also says to thank you. After a year of COVID, Governor Nome, we can look back and we can see uh, what you did. Um, for your state of South Dakota and that your state did very well. Actually, South Dakota has the lowest unemployment in the nation and it is back to pre-COVID levels. We're showing a side-by-side. -side. Your state's unemployment number was 2.9 in February of 2020 and it is now back down, in fact, to 2.9 unemployment one year later in February 2021. What is your secret sauce here, Governor? How did you know that your state would fare so well to stay so strong when most governors, frankly, cowered? Well, you know, Gina, I, I did probably the same thing every other governor did as far as researching the virus, trying to understand the science of it and the data. I think where I went a little bit further and took another step was when I researched really what my authority was as a governor, what my role was and what authority I didn't have. So I trusted my people. I let them use personal responsibility, gave them some flexibility and told them, I'm gonna let you protect your family's health, but then I'm also going to allow you to take care of your customers and your employees, keep your businesses open, do it in a way that's creative, that works for you to make sure we can get through this together. So yes, people are doing very well. Our economy is growing. We are recruiting businesses to South Dakota in record numbers. People are moving here by the hundreds and hundreds and we have a low unemployment rate of 2.9%, which is the best in the nation. And I think that's because of decisions we've made along the way. And the fact that a lot of people who just wanna live somewhere where the government doesn't mandate to them, that the government does respect them and they can have some freedom, this is where they wanna be. And that's been really fun to tell our story of, of what we value here in South Dakota. And that even though we have challenging times, 
we can get through them together and still create opportunities for our families to be successful. In some ways, a state that was uh, understated um, has become one of the most famous in the nation now because of some of your leadership. South Dakota is number one in COVID vaccinations among seniors 65 and older as well. 58.6% of South Dakota seniors have been fully vaccinated and over 81% have received at least the first dose. dose. That's something to be pretty proud of, Governor, because few people below the age of 65 um, need the vaccine. The risk of, risk of experiencing the side effects is higher than the risk of COVID infection among young people. So you are focusing on the elderly who are at the highest risk of dying from COVID and South Dakota is number one in the nation uh, with getting the elderly vaccinated. So congratulations on that number. Also, uh, maybe maybe Newsom and Cuomo could take some lessons from you. I don't know, have they called you for, for any advice? They have not done that. You know, we used the systems we had in place. I think with both of those governors, they created new bureaucracies uh, and tried to have their state governments be heavily involved. When we partnered with our healthcare givers, we partnered with volunteers, people stepped up and did incredible things and, and got the vaccines distributed and people are doing very, very well. So I'm very proud of the cooperation and the partnerships that we have here in South Dakota, and we'll continue to be creative to make sure that we take good care of folks. Well, that is super exciting, super exciting. And um, and as far as um, your state, um, any other things that you have to announce to us about anything happening or coming up that we should watch for? Well, it's been interesting. We're coming up on our last day of legislative session. And I think what was really yep. a testimony to this last year was that while a lot of states were dealing with wondering how they were going to fund services or maybe dealing with debt or, or looking at raising taxes, that was not our story in South Dakota. Because we kept our state open and because we allowed people to keep their businesses open, we saw historic revenues come into our state. Uh, we don't have an income tax. We don't have a corporate income tax. We don't have a personal property tax. We essentially have a four and a half cent sales tax that funds a lot of state government. That's the biggest funder coming in and it's set record levels like we've never seen before. Uh, so that has been one of the big discussions this legislative session was these revenues that we have in, how will we use them to best help people? And we put them in trust funds, in reserves for the future and invested in infrastructure. And then we also were the only state in the nation to turn down the president's extended unemployment benefits. So Gina, when you were talking about that low unemployment rate, I think it's because we kept our businesses open, but also because of decisions we made. Uh, when the president offered to let us keep those elevated benefits in place, I told him, thank you, Mr. President. We appreciate the opportunity, but we don't need it. And in one week, I cut my unemployment claims in half. That meant the people that were sitting on the sidelines just because they could make more money by not working than working, when that went away, they decided, well, I guess it's time to go back to work and they did. So I think it really was an opportunity for South Dakota to show the rest of the country that what we believe as conservatives, if you do it, it works. It gets people out into careers. It helps them provide for their families, helps them be successful. Our kids are in the classroom and we're doing very well. And essentially what we did in this state is what we all talk about every day. We're just living it here as well. Super exciting. Well, we'll look for more great things to come. Thank you so much for being here, Governor Nome. Thank you, Gina. Appreciate it.
Coming up, Congressman Ronnie Jackson is President Trump's former White House physician, and now he's in Congress. He can see something is terribly wrong with Joe Biden, and he'll be with us next. So stay right here. Dr. Gina Primetime continues. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. So glad you are with us. Joe Biden, he didn't look so well yesterday at his press conference, if you can even call it a press conference. <laughs> Joe seemed confused and had to read his answers from cue cards and sometimes sort of trailed off in his thoughts like this. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I'm, we're going to get a lot done. So you would think that the press might have asked the most obvious of questions. They sure asked about it almost every day during the Trump presidency. Or you might think that the White House physician would speak up and say, hey, Joe, there's something wrong here. Let's ask someone who's had an intimate knowledge of the health of the last two presidents. He was the White House physician under both Presidents Obama and Trump, and he now serves in Congress, Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Congressman Jackson, great to see you. Thank you for having me. Congressman, the media was obsessed with President Trump's health constantly uh, for the past four years. There was endless discussion about the 25th Amendment and mental capacity and all of those things, but not one reporter even asked the question yesterday. Now, we all know that those press who were allowed to even ask questions were pre-selected. Were they doing their jobs, Congressman? Oh, absolutely not. The uh, the White House press corps is an embarrassment to the country right now. I mean, they're just cheerleaders for Biden, and they cover up for him. I mean, it, it's ridiculous uh, that, that that they call themselves press at this point. You know, he had every advantage in that press conference. They did it in the early in. They did it early in the day. Uh, you know, they didn't wait and do it later in the evening like they oftentimes are. Uh, they apparently told him which reporters to call on. It looked as if he had the questions beforehand, uh, had the answers uh, ready to go. And despite all of that. Uh, he struggled to make it through that conference, and he, he looked confused, he looked weak, and he looked tired. It was not a good look at all. It was not encouraging. It was not reassuring to the country. And, you know, the press is going on and on about how uh, he did a great job today on some of the liberal channels. I mean, it's just, it's it's unbelievable. You're absolutely right. During the Trump administration, uh, Trump, President Trump didn't do anything uh, to to bring up a conversation about his mental or his cognitive capabilities, yet they constantly were coming after uh, the president and after me as his physician on a regular basis about how he had to have a thorough physical exam and he had to be cognitively tested. And they were demanding that, uh, you know, that he have like a panel of psychiatrists, inter psychiatrists or psychologists interview him and give him extensive cognitive testing and that that should be the norm from now on. Yet 
here we have a here we have a president now who can't really put sentences together and, and, and looks completely confused all the time and crickets, not a single word from these same group of people that were out there from academia, from the psychologists and psychiatrists from Harvard and Yale and Stanford and all these places uh, and the liberal press. They were demanding it as well. Not a single word from them. It's super hypocritical and it's not good for our country. Did you know Obama or President Trump to have used cue cards the way that Biden did to keep track of where he was going in a press conference? He didn't seem to be able to keep track of where he was without them. Of course, he didn't seem to be able to keep track of where he was with them either. But is this have you ever seen this with any president prior to Joe Biden? I have not. And, you know, I worked for President Bush as well. So I worked for Bush, Obama and Trump. And I never saw anyone. Oh, forgive do anything me. Like this. Thank you for the correction. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. But but I, but I, I've never seen a president do this before. You know, and President Trump in particular, you know, when he would get his briefs, basically, he would get them while he was walking to the press briefing room. And that would be basically the only prep he would get most of the time. He just you know, he, he was famous for going out there and just winging it and just calling on anybody who raised their hand and then staying out there until every single question had been asked. There is no way that Joe Biden could do anything similar to that. We've seen, you know, it just, it, it would never happen. So I, it's, it's, it's a very different situation. What happens though, Congressman, when Joe Biden has to negotiate with world leaders because it's not like our foreign enemies are not watching this. Well, that's a good point. And, you know, uh, you've probably seen in the press recently, there's been some uh, some talk about why is uh, Vice President Harris making all the phone calls to uh, heads of state all over the world? Why isn't uh, Biden doing that? And I think based on the press conference last night, we can see why he's doing that, because it would not be good for our country to have him as the face of, of you know, uh, have him representing us in that regard as our head of state. And so I, I think it makes perfect sense now why uh, we, we, these reports that uh, Vice President uh, Harris has been making those phone calls. And, you know, he just recently put Vice President Harris in charge of what's going on in the southern border, and that makes sense as well. They cannot have him out there on the front of anything. Uh, they're going to have to keep him sheltered from, from the public. They're going to have to get him out only when they have to, once every few months, to do one of these press conferences. They're going to have to put everything in his advantage and just hope he struggles to make it through uh, until, they, until he has to get out in front of the press again. Congressman, uh Biden says the crisis at the border we are seeing now is just the natural ebb and flow of the season, cooler weather, more people. Listen to this. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. In addition to that, there is a and nobody and by the way does anybody suggest that there was a 31 percent increase under trump because he was a nice guy and he was doing good things at the border that's not the reason they're coming the reason they're coming is that it's the time they can travel with the least likelihood of dying on the way because of the heat in the desert but biden's own director of homeland security said that this is the highest uh, influx in 20 years, and Joe Biden himself invited this, invited these people before he ran on this issue. It's not like he didn't say that he was going to, you know, open the borders. He ran on this issue. So, uh, does he really expect the American people to believe this? What's going on here? 
well, it's a complete lie, you know, and the press should be calling him out on it. They have the numbers. They know that's a lie. There were 120,000 people in the month of February. I think it was like a 700 and something percent increase from last year. And the reason is, is because Biden has put back in place all the incentives that were there during the Obama administration for people to make this dangerous trip. President Trump saw the dangers in this. He saw the dangers to our country, to our economy, to the people that were making this this dangerous journey. He saw the dangers involved in them uh, in, or the dangers on their part as well. And he removed uh, via the executive order many of these incentives that were in place during the Obama administration. And President Biden has gone out of his way to, to, to put those incentives right back into place. And I think he does a lot of what he does just to spite President Trump, which is really sad because if he's doing things like that, and I think there's multiple examples of how he's doing, he's doing things just specifically to undermine and undo things that the president did just to appease his base. And he's putting all of us in danger to do it. But the border is an absolute disaster right now. It's a humanitarian crisis and it's only going to get worse. We're on track to have about two and a half million people cross illegally into our country this year. Now, that is unbelievable. And do you think that the decisions that are being made have anything to do with the degeneration of Joe Biden? Or do you think this is just more about him being a puppet and letting others control him to the best of your ability? How would you answer that? Well, I think he is uh, not in control of what's going on on so many fronts right now. I think that there are other people in the White House that are making a lot of the decisions right now. And, uh, you know, you could tell based on his press conference last night that he really wasn't in control of what was going on. He didn't seem to have really good answers for a lot of stuff related to the border. So it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't really know what's going on down at the border. I don't imagine that he gets uh, uh, very thorough briefs on anything. I imagine someone else is taking those briefs. Someone else is making those decisions. And he's just the face of it. So Joe Biden, of course, the oldest president, um, there's some speculation. Will Donald Trump run, of course, in four years? Um, and I want you to comment on that because there were so many times where you were asked about Donald Trump's health, his mental health, et cetera, et cetera. You made some rather famous comments on that. I wish I had those clips uh, for right now. If you want to refer back to those, I'd love to hear those quotes. We talked about them the other night when you and I were both with the president, in fact, um, and they were uh, amazing. Um, but I want you to talk about that. I want you to speak to the mental and physical fitness of Donald Trump as compared to Joe Biden and your best assessment as to whether or not Four years from now, you suspect, and nobody can predict for sure, that um, I guess um, which one would be more fit to run, in your opinion, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Well, well President Trump's an incredibly good uh both physical health and cognitive health. I mean, his, his mental health is, is, is very good as well. And, you know, I, I gave him a, a cognitive screening test in the White House. And once again, like, I would say that that should be the standard now. You know, the precedent has been set and Joe Biden needs to have that done as well. But President yeah. Trump will run circles around Joe Biden from a cognitive standpoint now and four years from now. First off, I do not believe that Joe Biden will still be our president in four years if he continues to go down this path. Uh, he is going to have to make some significant I mean, I don't think the, the American people have a lot of faith in, in him as our as our head of state right now and as our commander in chief. But, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, I, I'm fully confident that in four years, if President Trump decides he wants to run again, he'll be physically and mentally fit to do so. It's just going to be a personal decision on his part. I don't know if he will or not. All I know is that whether he runs or not, he's going he's in total control of this party right now. And he's going to have a huge influence on what happens uh, to our country as we move forward, because his Make America Great, Keep America Great agenda 
and his, it, it is going nowhere. It, it is a movement now. It is a movement that will continue to thrive over the next uh, you know, 20 or 30 years. And so uh, that's his legacy. He, he's pushed us in a direction that's good for our country, and that will continue. But I hope he runs again. Congressman Ronnie Jackson, thank you so much for being here, and thanks for all of your hard work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coming up, the transgender activists are coming for your children. You won't believe the next story. Stick around. We're Dr. Gina Primetime. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. There is a disturbing headline in the Christian Post about a story in Canada. It reads like this. Canadian father jailed after publicly objecting to his minor daughter taking testosterone. And if you think it can't happen here, then you're living in a fantasy. Here with more details on this story, Amanda Head. Amanda, thanks for being here again. again. Um, Amanda, fill us in on this disturbing story. Yeah, I, I wish on a Friday I could come with a more uplifting story. This, this story came across my radar the early part of this week. Gina, as you know, I, I'm a, a Rebel alumni, and the Rebel is covering this story, and their reporter, Drea Humphrey, is the one who has been covering this story since the beginning. So I decided to have Drea on the network to talk about this, and she, she, sheds, she shed some light on this really, really disturbing story. Now, when I had her on, she actually wasn't able to say the man's name. His name is Robert Hooglin, but there is a publication ban on his name and other information pertaining to this case. Um, can you imagine something like that happening in the United States? It's unbelievable. Anyway, his name is Robert Hoogland. That's his daughter. That was a few years ago. He is in jail for speaking out and opposing her taking testosterone as part of an experimental transition therapy. He never signed on to this. Apparently, his ex-wife, in coordination with the Canadian government schools and medical uh, community, have allowed this daughter, she's, she's now a teenager, uh, but obviously still a minor, to undergo gender transition therapy. He said that the therapies that she has been undergoing and the amount of time that she has been undergoing those therapies uh, will basically, you know, it lo has lowered her voice. She now has facial hair and she is likely sterile. She probably won't ever be able to have children. So he's in jail. Uh, notice he will remain there until Mar um, April 12th, which is his next court hearing. But this started a long time ago. This started way back in seventh grade when he opened his daughter's yearbook and was surprised to find under her picture a male name. And uh, she decided with her counselor that she wanted to be a boy. So they allowed her to not only change her name in the yearbook without the parent's consent or approval and start this therapy. Um, his ex-wife, like I said, is supported by the Canadian government. Um, but when this daughter was going through, you know, going through counseling at her school, um, all of the issues that she was experiencing were attributed to gender dysphoria. Um, the judge at the time, uh, at his last court hearing, held that his consent 
for her gender transition is not relevant and that if he did not affirm her as a male, he would be implicated in the criminal offense of family violence. So to what you were saying earlier, Gina, about them coming after our kids, it's not just our kids, it's the parents too, and it's terrifying. So wait, I understand the media is banned from reporting this. They can't even say the man's name or they will be jailed too. But I don't understand, and you have to be quick on this because we're almost out of time, but I don't understand why he's jailed. He's in jail because he spoke out against, uh, against this hormonal treatment and therapy. He's not allowed to talk about it. Wow, because he talked about it. Wow, Amanda. Well, do keep us in touch on that story. All right, we are going to lighten it up a little bit, Amanda, because we are almost out of time. It is Freedom Friday, and it is time for our meme of the day. Here we have Fred from Scooby-Doo, and he has finally caught the culprit of who is giving away all of our rights. And he takes off the mask, and it is himself. It's us. Amanda, go ahead. Gina, this is supposed to be funny. This is sad. <laughs> and this is spot on. I think it was, was it Benjamin Franklin who said, if you prefer safety and security over freedom, you deserve neither. We've done this with COVID. We've done this with our gun rights. We have willingly given up our rights. And it's finally, chickens are coming home to roost. And hello, people, we are the ones who gave those rights away. So stop doing it. Yeah, what was that guy's name on Scooby-Doo? Um, Fred. Scooby all right. Well, oh. Fred and Freedom Friday, it all goes together. Amanda Head, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining me tonight. And thanks to everyone here at your home for real news, RAVTV, Real America's Voice. Oh, I'll get this. You can really tell it's Friday. We need it bad. Live from Studio 6B up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children. Love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Have a great weekend. God bless everybody.